On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about our healthcare system. There's a new study out that says we do spend an awful lot of money on it, but do we get the results from it that we should? You're going to be fascinated to see how much we spend and where we are falling short. We're also talking about travel as a psychological benefit. It's more than just for fun, apparently. There is real psychological benefit in traveling, which of course is something we're paying the price for with COVID right now. And we're going to be talking to you about the $5 bill. The Bank of Canada has come out with its list of eight finalists to be on the $5 bill. Who would you choose? We'll tell you who's on the list, who are the finalists, and we'll hear from a bunch of you about who you would put there. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. If you're a typical Canadian, I'm guessing you probably at times, when the opportunity arises, boast to your American friends about our healthcare system. When it comes up and it comes up, that's what we're known for. One of the things that we're known for, maple syrup and hockey and our healthcare system. You And you are probably proud of it. It's universal. There's no private insurance required. It's free. Well, I mean, like a year ago, roughly when the Toronto Raptors were trying to convince Kawhi Leonard to stay in Canada, Federal Health Minister Jeanette Pettipot-Taylor even tweeted out that if he did, he would get free health care. That's what the Minister of Health said, free health care. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. Uh, we hear that phrase a lot, that we have free health care here in Canada, uh, but free health care, it is not. That is not true. And a new study says not only is it not true, but we are spending a boatload of money and not necessarily getting the results we should be for it. Bacchus Barua is the Associate Director of Health Policy Studies with the Fraser Institute, who has come out with this study today. Uh, Bacchus, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate your time. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, you know, I saw this today, and um, I mean, these are just raw numbers. This is just numbers being looked at, and and the study found, and I find this shocking, Canada spends of, uh, and this is among countries that have universal health care. Canada spends the second most of any nation on health care, just behind Switzerland. Switzerland's the only country that spends more than us. But unlike Switzerland, that also has the most doctors per thousand citizens. We are number 26 on that scale. How is it possible we can be spending the most money or second most money and be near the bottom as far as number of doctors? Well, um, I should I should first just temper that statement that you know uh, we spend the second most as a percentage of our GDP after mm. adjusting for age. There are important differences between countries in terms of their age population, um, and so when we don't actually age adjust it, I think we're sixth highest in terms of spending per GDP and seventh highest per capita. But the thing is, regardless of which measure we're looking at, we're always ranking amongst the top spenders, and absolutely there is an imbalance between how much we're spending, and what we actually get in return. When we're looking at the other countries in that same cohort that are spending about the same, you know, Switzerland spending a little bit more, Australia, Germany spending a little bit less, they all generally have more doctors, they have more physicians, uh, sorry, more nurses, more beds, um, and they have remarkably lower wait times. Um, the answer is not looked at in the study, but of course would undoubtedly come to um, to policy. Um, and I was actually... It's, it's interesting. I was listening to to the intro uh, song that you had by the Foo Fighters, and uh, you know, it, the, the stuff, the studies like this really, you know, push back against that notion that we have one of the best healthcare systems in the world, um, or that we're actually even the only universal healthcare system in the world. There are several others, and many of them actually have more resources and longer wait and shorter wait times than we do. 
Well, I would argue, and I would not even argue, I would suggest that if you talk to a lot of Canadians, uh, they would be pretty thrilled with the system. And those would be Canadians probably who don't use it a whole lot or who the occasional time they have to go to emergency, they may have to wait, but they get in. Uh, you mentioned, you know, wait times for specialists and things. I mean, if you have a chronic condition, that's where your study really shows some of the challenges here. If you have a chronic condition, uh, you may not be quite as thrilled. Absolutely. And, you know, th there are Canadians who, who are happy with the system and are, and are grateful for their excellent care there. And that's, you know, we actually do show in the same study that there are spots in Canada where um, our healthcare system shines. Uh, we do have excellent uh, breast cancer survival rates. We have um, excellent uh, colon and rectal cancer survival rates. Um, we do okay on average in terms of um, strokes. Uh, but the thing is, it's everybody else who really gets left behind. Everybody who's waiting for a hip replacement, a knee replacement, um, people who um, require a cholecystectomy or something like that. Um, essentially, those people are, are expected to wait for remarkably long periods of time um, in contrast to what you see in these other countries. Uh, the other reason why I think we we you know get uh, fall into the sense of thinking we have one of the best healthcare systems is because we get drawn into this constant comparison with the United States, which is just a very narrow and unhelpful comparison. Uh, when we actually look at countries like Switzerland, the Netherlands, Sweden, France, Germany, that's where things start to look very interesting. Just to give you one example, uh, when we look at the percentage of uh, patients who reported waiting more than four months for elective surgery. In Canada, that number was 18. So 18% of patients waited more than four months for elective surgery. In Germany, that number was zero. No patient reported waiting as long. In Switzerland, that number was seven. In the Netherlands, that number was four. They're all remarkably and consistently having shorter wait times, more physicians, more beds than Canada routinely does, all while having the same universal goal. And, you know, yeah, and I think people, especially now that COVID hit, I mean, around here, when we had hospitals clearing out hospitals and saying, you know, those elective surgeries are off because we have to be prepared for COVID, it made the matter even worse. But just before we go to a break here, hospital beds, again, we're spending uh, by this, we're spending near the top, hospital beds, number of hospitals were 25th, MRI units were 22nd. I know this is not your responsibility or the question you necessarily tried to answer, but just something to pause and think about where all this money is going. Some It's got to be going somewhere, and it just makes you wonder where all this money is going. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bakish, according to your study, the cost per Canadian is $5,520 a year, if I understand it right. So a family of four, you're spending nearly $25,000 into the system on healthcare. Now, that's not directly. Some people will pay more out of taxes, some less, but it's a huge amount. Yeah, you know, there are a couple of different ways to slice the question of spending. Um, the figures in the study are looking at total healthcare spending. So that's public and private. And yes, in Canada, we do have some private spending as well. Um, so the total healthcare system, um, again, after adjusting for age, we're spending about five and a half thousand dollars per capita, as you mentioned. Um, I think the other study, which which we talked about earlier, which which perhaps you're you're recalling, is the study which was looking at how much we're actually paying through the tax system. Um, and in that study, through the tax system, our estimate is that the average individual is paying about four thousand eight hundred, four thousand nine hundred dollars, and the average family is spending about fourteen thousand dollars, fourteen and a half thousand dollars through the tax system. So these are considerable amounts, and at the very least, they push back against the notion that we have um, a system that is inadequately funded. Where 
you know, very clearly individuals are paying a lot into the system through the taxes. And in total, when we stack up Canada compared to other countries, we rank amongst the top spenders, regardless of which measure you look at. What, let me go back to the thing we started with here, and that is the the shortage, it seems, of doctors when we compare how much we're paying and then how many doctors we have. Uh, you know, we have a terrific medical school here in Hamilton and McMaster, and the lineup to get in, it's incredibly difficult to get in. Brilliant people being turned away uh, because they just can't take enough. If we as a country wanted more doctors, surely we could open the doors up and ask the universities to accept a few more people and produce doctors. Like, why are we not, if we're so short, why are we not finding ways to find more doctors? Surely we can make them. You know, the, the doctor's question is, um, it's not examined in this study, but, but we have done some research on that, and it's, it's, it's quite complex. Um, what happened in the early 1990s is that Canada had um, a physician-to-population ratio that was about on par with the OECD average. Um, and at the time, for whatever reason, um, governments were concerned about an oversupply of physicians and introduced a number of measures that actually reduced the, total, the, the doctors who were being trained uh, and who were being hired, um, I think, by about 10% or so, which was uh, part of the Bear's Daughter Report. And it was successful. We ended up having about the same doctor-to-population ratio through the 90s. But, of course, what happened is that the rest of the world progressed. They had more doctors per capita because they realized that this was an important resource um, that uh, that is essential to delivering services. Uh, we seem to have sort of realized the problem over here towards the late 90s and, and, and in the 2000s started having more um, doctors being enrolled. But, you know, it was really trying to play catch-up. And then we come to these other issues with the system, um, trying to contend with the fact that we have a publicly funded system that's not very flexible in terms of addressing patient needs. So when these doctors actually started to graduate um, somewhere between 2012 and 2014, there were actually reports that a lot of these doctors couldn't actually find jobs, um, which again is indirectly related to the, you know how many surgeries are actually being funded in Canada through the public system. So it's 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 quite a long story over there, but um, you know, when we come down to it, the fact is that despite ranking amongst the high spenders, we rank 26 out of 28 for physicians per capita right now. So, and again, I, I understand that this is a very, very complex situation, but we, we often hear people saying the country, the province needs to spend more money on healthcare do we, or do we simply need to spend the money that we're spending on healthcare more wisely? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to the latter. Um, I think what we're seeing over here very clearly is that there's an imbalance, right? We are ranking amongst the top spenders in terms of um, healthcare spending, but we don't see it translate in terms of resources and certainly not in terms of timeliness of care. Um, there are other countries, again, regardless of which measure you look at, countries like Australia and Germany that spend either the same or lower than Canada does, or countries like Switzerland that spend a little bit more, and they have a dramatically different healthcare system. They have more doctors, they have uh, more beds, they have remarkably shorter wait times, um, and they have universal healthcare. The difference really comes down to policy, and that's something that, um, unfortunately, is still very difficult um, to have a, a reasoned debate in Canada about. Last thing, because we are short on time, I wish we had a lot more time to talk about this. How much of this, if any, do you think is geography? Because with Canada being so sprawling, I mean, Switzerland is not a very big country geographically. Does it make it easier when you have a much smaller geographic country to service 
these populations with the number of doctors and hospitals and everything else? You know, that's that's a really astute observation. Um, and it's something that's brought up quite a lot. There are two things that, that I think um, would temper that um, that, um, that that critique, I'd say. One is that even though we have a very, very large country, most of the population is still within, I believe, 100 to 200 kilometers of the border. Um, so, yes, we have a, a, a sprawling country, but um, most of the population is concentrated, um, it, you know, not across the entire country. And, of course, you know, access to remote care is, is, is a serious issue that, um, that needs to be taken care of. But the other thing that that would give me pause for concern for accepting that is the reason why we're seeing this imbalance is that you can look at a country like Australia, which has a similar um, geographical uh, challenge that Canada does. Most of their population is concentrated in a couple of cities on the coast, um, and they have this, this, this very large country. But when we look at Australia, we actually find that they're generally spending less than Canada does. Um, they have more uh, resources, and they have remarkably shorter wait times. Going back to the statistic that I quoted earlier, if you look at the percentage of Canadians waiting for more than four months for elective surgery, in Canada that was 18%, in Australia that was only 8%. So um, while you know our geography is a challenge, I don't think that that's the reason why we're seeing the hmm. sort of imbalance in performance um, that we see in this report. Bacchus Barua, uh, you can read the report. Um, it's online. You can find it online. You can also find it. It was in the National Post today. It's a bunch of other places that it's been written about. Uh, really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All we probably ever want to know about the effect COVID has had on so many things, uh, it, it, everything. I mean, what has not been impacted by COVID? And I know that's a rhetorical question because you can answer that as well as anybody. But included on that list is travel. And some of you may be snowbirds. Some of you may this time of year be thinking about your excursion down to the States, down to the warmest parts of the country to spend your winter. Some might simply plan a vacation for a week or two to escape from the cold winters up here. Uh, some might just travel for a special occasion once in a while. Some of you not at all. But I'm sure many of many people listening fall into one of the first three categories. Regardless, it's not happening. For 99%, it seems, of people, it's not happening. And that could be having an effect on our emotional well-being. There are some who say traveling is more than just a fun diversion or a fun pastime. It can feed an important part of our psyche. It's an interesting idea. Dr. Michael Bryan is called the travel psychologist. That's what he calls himself. He joins us now. Dr. Bryan, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Hi, you're welcome. Glad to be here. You say, and I, I've read this, so if, I, if you haven't said this, please correct me, but you've said, as I've read, travel is tied to psychological needs. How, how, how so? I think so. Uh, for one thing, it lets us get out of our ordinary work-a-day life where everything is pretty much predictable and we run totally on automatic. And uh, travel gives us a chance to expand ourselves to get out of this kind of uh, limiting boundary. It gives us a chance to have so many new things happen and along with the excitement and the anticipation, it helps us to grow, actually, to become more of the kinds of persons we would like to become ourselves. 
And so, so uh, it's a little bit like the old Australian walkabout that, you know, for thousands of years, young people would go out on their own and venture out and they come back a little more mature, a little more adult and uh, having learned a lot of things. So that's, I think that's part of what travel does for us. I mean, if, if I understand what you're saying, it basically just gives us a different a point of view, a different look, a, a change. I mean, much like if you had a change in your job or whatever, people say a change is really good to do every once in a while. It's just changing your your point of view. It's not only that, but I think it also gives us uh, a lot of new opportunities, a lot of new paths to explore. And that does not normally happen when you're just leading your normal mundane life and existence getting up, going to school, working, whatever you do. You just don't have the chance the chance to expand as much and have new opportunity. And with this new opportunity comes new rewards and new satisfactions. And, and we feel more self-confident and increase our self-esteem. There's a lot of things travel does for us. Is it a... Um... Is it unique in that way? I mean, are there other things that could fill the same need for us, or is it a unique thing? I think it's pretty unique. I think just the idea of getting out of your own environment, and that could also mean not having to travel that far, just going to a little different area from where you live. And, of course, you know, there's the old uh, stay vacation, staycation, where you just begin to explore around a little bit more where you live and, uh, check out things that you not normally would not do that much. So uh, it's just getting out of your environment into a new one and having a lot of new experiences and, and growing from that and going from there, I think. That said, there are people who even in the best of times when COVID is not a thing, even when things, when they could travel, there are people who don't. Are, are those people then, in a sense, denying themselves of something? I think they are. Uh, if you don't give yourself the opportunity to explore a little bit more beyond your own bounds, then what's going to happen? You're not going to grow that much. You're not going to be doing much more uh, with your life as you could be. Let me throw it a step further then. Uh, you're a psychologist. What about those? There are people who hate the idea of traveling. They like the knowledge of where they are and the familiarity, the idea of going on a trip. They, they just, they, it, it throws them off. Does that suggest that they have, I mean, I don't want to be too ridiculous here, but a psychological condition or, or, or is that a step too far? No. Well, I mean, I think, I think you're talking about probably a smaller percentage of people than those who at least get out and go, traveling somewhere, you know, maybe not overseas necessarily. But uh, I think there are people who are perfectly satisfied leading very limited lives uh, and making everything predictable. And for the rest of us, we feel they're missing out on a lot. For those people, they just feel more safe and secure and uh, satisfied with, with their own kind of more limited uh, approach to life. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I can't speak as a psychologist, but I can tell you that uh, my experience is that traveling does something positive for sure. I, I, I'm wondering, though, you're the only travel psychologist I've ever heard of or anyone who identifies as that. <laughs> Do others share 
your ideas behind this, if not the specifics, at least the general concept? Is, is this a, a widely accepted concept? You know, uh, very, very good question. Uh, I think the COVID-19 has, has affected uh, travel more in that uh, people are looking to have experiences that are more created or designed around their, their personal psychology, who they are and uh, what they want out of life. So I've been contacted by people in, in a few different places in the world uh, wanting to explore a little bit more. How can we uh, design experiences for people to have in a limited way, just a few people at a time to have these experiences? But uh, people are waking up to this idea. We had, we've had sports psychology for a long time. Uh, yeah. And I'm the first person that really started to look at travel in that way. And it's just interesting I got recently contacted by two guys in India who have advanced degrees, and and they call themselves now travel psychologists as well, as well. And uh, you know they're uh, very highly educated, knowledgeable, and I I was just overwhelmed and awed just listening to the kinds of things that they were working on and doing. So there is a consciousness. There are people around the world uh, interested in this. Uh, there are many schools of hotel and tourism management, uh, like the famous one in uh, at Cornell, and there's a famous school in Switzerland, and my old alumni, University of Hawaii, has a school of travel industry management, and they all appreciate uh, look, looking into the psychology and sociology behind travel and what's involved. And, and let's face it, in international relations and international politics, we need to understand one another better and uh, travel psychology is one aspect of how people interact uh, from different parts of the world. So it's important, and more people are recognizing uh, that it's useful, and they need to pay more attention to these subjects. The fact that we can't right now, um, I I'm wondering if the lack of travel is entirely the issue that people are facing right now, or if not, if knowing that you can't, is also part of the problem that it's not even just that you can't go somewhere, but you know, you can't, that lack of self-determination feels stifling and feels like you're controlled by something bigger than you. It's that. Yeah, I agree. And, and this will be interesting. Uh, let me tell you about a couple of other thoughts uh, that I've had about this. That's fairly unique. I haven't heard really this much about this. And that is, uh, you know, much of, of travel, what's really good and rewarding for a lot of us are the people that we meet, the contacts that we make. And we come back feeling that sometimes we've made some really good, genuine connections with people. And that's what's most memorable in our travels. And that's very rewarding. Uh, but now we can't do that so much. So we feel distanced in a way from other people. And we also feel that in our own countries, in Canada and the United States, people feel like they actually have more physical distance that they have to maintain between people. And here's what's interesting. Much of that is totally unconscious for us. The way we uh, interact with people, the distance we stand from people, the degree at which we touch one another, shaking hands or doing elbow things and patting one another on the back and looking at people's faces and reading uh, their faces. Now we have more distance. Now we have masks covering our faces. We don't have those cues. Everything that was unconscious that we never had to think about suddenly is right there 
in front of us. We don't really know entirely how to react to that. Uh, we're further away from people. We don't have the emotional connections. We don't have the physical contact as much as we've had. And we don't see the nonverbal cues uh, when we're looking at people. We don't see the smiles, the innuendos, the uh, expressions that people have. All this serves to create uh, not only physical distance, but psychological distance, social distance in a way. So we feel more removed and distant from people. And this bothers a lot of us. And we have to think about it where we didn't think about it much before. You know, again, something that as you've been talking, it dawns on me and I'd like to see someone try this. I'm not sure it's going to work, but if all of what you're saying is correct and there's a lot of logic to what you're saying, doctors should theoretically be able to prescribe travel as a healing mechanism. I, I don't know how, if, if someone's going to, if some pharmacy or some work coverage program is going to say, oh yeah, we're all for that. But the idea that it could be very healing for you, um, you know, why not? What would be different from this, from a lot of other things they would prescribe? Uh, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, not for people with very serious, uh, you know, no. schizophrenic problems or things like that, but the idea of just getting out of the problem environment, you know, where you're having these difficulties and issues, it's nice sometimes to get out of that space into a new space so you have more opportunity to explore. And then so you can think about your problems and what's uh, bothering you in a different context. And maybe you get some fresh ideas because you are more open to novelty. You're more open to looking at things in a different perspective. And this does not mean necessarily going somewhere just to escape and not deal with things. Yeah, you have to work on it because you're, when you, the minute you're back in your situation where your issues have arisen, uh, you know, you're confronted with the same thing. So uh, if you can travel and get some personal growth and some new ideas uh, and have a little bit of freedom to be right out of a problem context, that can help. And I'm sure there's more and more people thinking about how travel does this for you. Uh, and I say, yes, I totally agree with you on that. You can, uh, you can read more about, uh, Michael Bryan, Michael, B-R-E-I-N.com. Michael Bryan, uh, is, uh, Ryan is, is the website. Go there. Uh, Michael, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you. It's uh, it's a really interesting concept and certainly something, if, if you are someone who has typically gone on a vacation, you are feeling it probably now that you are not able to do that. It's, it's, it's an interesting theory that it's beyond just the missing out on the excitement that the travel itself has an impact on us psychologically. Take a, give a read, michaelbryan.com. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Bank of Canada is planning to come out with a new $5 bill. And they've been doing stuff over the last little while where they've been changing up the bills and partially because there's been backlash against former prime ministers who some would argue are problematic others because they just want to freshen it up maybe because we've got some new people that should be on the bills so they've given eight now before i even tell you who the eight finalists are feel free to call even ahead of that because i want to know who you would put on our five dollar bill who would be the canadian that you would say great canadian not going to create fights among people, 
I mean, it's we got to have pretty much agreement on this. We don't want to have a, a a bit of currency that some people are hating and other people are saying is great. We don't want to have a. It shouldn't be political. Who would you put on our five dollar bill if you had the choice? All right, the numbers, same numbers, 905-645-3221, star 9900. I will give my answer in just a moment. I'll tell you who's in the finals, who's the eight finalists. One of them is the person that I would be putting on there, regardless of whether they were in this list or not. They would be my obvious, obvious, obvious choice. Uh, here we go. The eight finalists, Pitsiolak Ashuna. Ever heard of them? Ever heard of her? She was a prolific Inuk artist who made over 9,000 drawings. She is one of the finalists to be on our $5 bill. I'm sure she was fantastic. I'm not sure that if no one or very few people from the country have ever heard of this person, if that's the wisest or the best choice. Nonetheless, that's not disparaging her work. We carry on. Robertine Barry. Robertine Barry was the first French-Canadian female journalist. Ever heard of her? We carry on. That's two. Number three, Benaswi, Francis Pegamagabau. Uh, he was a, uh, an indigenous sniper in the First World War and then became an advocate for indigenous rights. Um, Juan Alexander Kumyao, who was the first Chinese Canadian born in Canada. Uh, we keep going. Lotta Hishmanova. Uh, in 1945, she founded the Unit Unitarian Service Committee of Canada, which advocated for those enduring poverty and illness during uh, due to war and natural disasters. Isapo Muxika, also known as Crowfoot, became a chief to the Siksika Blackfoot people and a diplomat seeking peaceful relations between colonial groups and indigenous peoples. Onandeo, uh, who founded the first national indigenous body, the League of Indians of Canada in 1918, is number seven. Any, any of them yet really ringing home? Number eight might. Number eight, Terry Fox. That's, that's who I would pick. That's who I would pick. But who would you pick to go on our $5 bill? 905-645-3221, star 9900. Mike is joining us first up today. Mike, how are you? I'm fine, Scott. I just had a brain freeze, but on the $5 bill, put the uh, telegraph dispatcher from the Halifax explosion who warned that train to stop in Richmond, saving all those lives. It's on the Heritage Minute. Mike, that's a that's it's an idea that did not make the cut, but it's a really interesting one, and certainly uh, someone who did something very heroic and saved a lot of people. Absolutely, thanks yeah, for that good idea. They, they named a ferry in Halifax after him, Vince Holman. Vince, that's the name. Vince, Vince Holman. Holman. Okay, that's the name. Mike, that's the one you should put on that five dollar bill. Great idea. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that one. Uh, Stefan is waiting to come on. Stefan, who would you put on the $5 bill if you had the choice? Yeah, hello. You know what? I make a lot of friends here, but I think you mentioned Terry Fox. I yep. think it's a great idea. My first choice was going to be Brian Mulroney for our Prime Minister. Okay. However, Terry Fox is a better idea. 
Well, you know, the only problem with Brian Mulrooney is that uh, I, I said off the top, one of the things that you would not want to do, I don't think, is create political squabbling over it. It should be something <laughs> agreed upon by everyone, I think. But... Sure enough. That's why I changed my mind to, to Terry Fox. All right. So we got Terry Fox slash Brian Mulrooney. Stefan, I appreciate the call. Well, thank, thank you very much. Have a wonderful show. You too. Karen joins us now on the show. Karen, how are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Who would you put on the $5 bill if you could do it? Actually, you and I agree with each other. I would have said Terry Fox. Uh, see, Karen, I don't think it's even that hard a question. No, it's not. Like, it, it, that is the number one. That's the number one person. Like, I don't even know who any of those other people are, and I'm pretty up on history of politics. I don't uh, know I, any of those other people. And, 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 you know, one of the arguments that you can make is, well, if you put them on the bill, then people will get to know who they are. I suppose there is possibly something to that. But one of the things you would hope to do with this kind of thing is to create some unity. Is there a single Canadian out there who has a problem with Terry Fox? No, absolutely. I don't think anybody would. How could you? I think, every, I think everybody would celebrate it if he was on the $5 bill. And not just here. I think we would be very proud of that bill to be shown to people who come to the country from elsewhere. And and I bet you it would become a collector's item. Absolutely. And so it should be. He did so much for our country. Karen, thank you for the call. Great, great, great. Uh, hey, you, you agree with me. Great choice. Way to go. <laughs> Brian is waiting to come on. Brian, how are you tonight? Hey, I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm great. Who would you put on the $5 bill if you had your mm. choice? Well, I had two in mind. One was Terry Fox. The other one was Lincoln Alexander. Great choice. But yep. I tell you what, the thing that confuses me the most out of this, if Terry Fox is selected for the $5 bill, all there's going to be is a major uprising about all the fact that none of the Indigenous associated ones were picked. Like we, and see, we, Brian, we, it's a great we point. Self, it, we self-create all these divisiveness by doing stuff point. like this, and I just don't understand it. It's, it's a fantastic point, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I was going to get to that when we had a moment here, but I'm going to do it because you brought it up. I, I have no issue with the other candidates reading a little bit about their bios. They are all sounding like incredibly accomplished people, even though we may not be as familiar with their past. But this should be an absolute no-brainer, and so why, as you say, why create the conflict? And then why make it so when Terry Fox is chosen, and I think it's inevitable that he will be, I would hope it's inevitable that he will be. But do you you're see right, Brian. Happen? Well, do I, I do. I, yeah, I absolutely. Because now you're <laughs> going to be, you know, we're going to have overlooked the indigenous people and I don't want absolutely. to overlook them, but this is and one of those should. times when I don't think you needed to create a problem. No, but they have again. <laughs> it's just right. Well, Brian, I thank you for the call. I really do appreciate you calling in. Lincoln Alexander is a great choice too. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Look, there are maybe two people in this country, maybe more than two. I was going to say Terry Fox for sure, maybe Wayne Gretzky. I don't know. But Terry Fox probably stands alone as someone that every single person could agree with. If you have a problem with Terry Fox, I'd love to hear what the problem would be. You, you, you're you're really out on a your lone branch there. If you're looking, going, oh Terry Fox, <sighs> come on, have we done enough for Terry Fox? I mean, we have a run. No, no, that's that. There's nobody that's got an issue with Terry Fox. We have unanimity of agreement and of recognition of his heroism and legendary status in this country. So just 
to the $5 bill for Terry Fox. And then you know what? After he's looked after, you've got all the other bills that you can go with these other people. But I agree with Brian. I think there's a risk here of what you do is create a conflict now that somehow we are ignoring the indigenous heroes or the black heroes or the woman heroes or whomever. And that's not what this would be about. That's not what this would be about at all. But I think you run the risk of creating that fight. And why do you want to fight about this? It's Terry Fox. This should be one where you just say, you know what? It's acclaimed. Sorry. And I, I get what the Bank of Canada might be doing. They're trying to build up some excitement or whatever. Build up the excitement by some other method other than trying to create a budding of heads or a budding of cultures or a budding of different groups. Sean is with us now here on the Scott Radley Show. Sean, how are you tonight? How are you? Excellent, thanks. What do you think? Who should be on the $5 bill? Well, I, I wasn't thinking about it, but when you said Terry Fox, that was that was like, uh, well, that, that really is a good choice. But what I was thinking was uh, John Turn or uh, Stomp and Tom Connors. Stomp and Tom, and I didn't catch you broke up. Who was the first one? Don Cherry. Oh, Don Cherry. Wow. Okay. So Don Cherry, as I said a few moments ago, you're trying with this to not create political battles. I think Don Cherry, for those who love him, they love him a lot. For those who hate him, they despise him. I think you're creating that kind of battle. Um, maybe you disagree, but, um, you know, I, I think that would, I can agree with that. Stomp and Tom, that would be a fascinating one. And, and very Canadian. I mean, I, listen, we're, our quiz question today is about Gordon Lightfoot. I put Stomp and Tom and Gordon Lightfoot and a few others in that category of just, they ooze Canadiana when you hear them singing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sean, I appreciate I, the call. So, sorry, I go, go ahead. I go with that Terry Fox. If there was a vote or something, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely vote for that Terry Fox. I have a hard time believing they won't make it Terry Fox, but again, I just, I just, my fear out of this is that somehow we create a fight where we don't need to have a fight. Nonetheless. Yeah. Sean, yeah, thank you for the call. I, I hear you bleeding hearts. That, well, thanks for the call. Mike, another Mike joins us now on the show. Mike, how are you tonight? Hello, Mike. Hey. Hello. There we go. How are you, Mike? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, thank you. Who would you put on the $5 bill? I'd put the Unknown Soldier. That's a great one, too. That's a great one, too, especially today, you know, today, especially tomorrow, now. with Remembrance Day. Absolutely. Now, how is the Unknown... Uh, you know what? It's been so long since I've handled old $10 and $20 bills. Is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, or the at least the um, the monument in Ottawa, is it not on one of the bills already? Or am yeah. I... I believe it is. Yeah. So that would be the only reason why they might not, because they're changing this. But I don't know why you would want to change it away from that. Uh, well, I, I would just, people don't remember the unknown soldiers. <laughs> no, Mike, that, that is a fantastic idea. And here's the thing. We're talking about a bill that has two sides, maybe on whatever bill that is. And someone can tell me, again, I use my debit so much now that I hardly ever handle bills. Someone can tell me which bill it is, but I'm sure that it is um, that it is on one of the bills and maybe it stays on the other side. We only change the one. Mike, great idea. Thank you for that. Appreciate you calling in. Have a good evening. You too. Bob joins us now on the show. Bob, how are you tonight? Hi. Excellent. Yeah, what uh, what which would you go with? Who would you go with? Well, first of all, I don't think Terry Fox would be on the five dollar bill. Why not? 
Well, first of all, he should be on the $1,000 bill. <laughs> if there's such a thing. Well, there is such a thing. You know, he's the obvious choice, right? But yep. can I pick out a few names? I, w- I would suggest yeah. too. You had you had seven other ones, uh, unknown ones. Uh, how about uh, Samuel D. Champlain, the okay. explorer? Yep. Montreal. Uh, Radisson Grosselier, also explorers that opened up the country. Yeah, the Courier um, de Bois. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yep. I Robert learned something in grade nine in history. How about Robert D. LaSalle? <laughs> Robert D. LaSalle, okay. After him, you know, he was first man to see Niagara Falls, I believe. Um, but, you know, uh, the guys who opened up, up the country should be on there, you know, um, and, uh, you know, contributed to Canada and, you know, all that, right? But Terry Bob, Fox excellent choices. Obvious. Excellent choices. Thank you for that call, Bob. Thank I you. appreciate You're it. Welcome. Great ideas. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Have a couple moments left here. If you want to say who should, who you would put on the $5 bill. And, and I go back to my point from before the names that I listed, there's eight finalists that the bank of Canada has suggested. One of them is Terry Fox, seven others. I would suggest that probably most Canadians don't know, certainly not well, which doesn't diminish their value, doesn't diminish their accomplishment, doesn't diminish their Canadianness, doesn't diminish their worthiness to be on a bill. But we're we're doing other bills as well. We're changing other bills. And I just think when you've got when you throw Terry Fox into the mix, it's so obvious. It's so easy. And by throwing others in there now, you're creating a fight that doesn't need to be a fight. You've got the ten dollar no, you don't have the ten dollar bill. Um, you got the twenty, you've got the fifty, you've got other opportunities to put people on. Look, I, I've said all along, even before this. What's the reason why we couldn't have our bills are color coded? The blue is five. The green, the uh, the ten is purple. The twenty is green. Why do you have to only have one face on the bill? Why could you not have a series of ten different Canadians, great Canadians on the five? Why could you not have ten more great Canadians on the ten and ten more on the twenty? What would be the problem with that? And then people want to c- gather these up and have them as collectors' items and do. I mean. This is we're not in the states where all the money is the same color and they have to distinguish by the the appearance. This is we could be having lots of people. So that as I go through the list, the telegraph operator from Halif- from the Halifax explosion, you could be one of the faces. Sure, why not? And Terry Fox, and Lincoln Alexander, and the unknown soldier, and Pizziola Kashuna, and Robertine Barry, and these other ones. We don't seem to have the capacity. To be creative, I guess. Fred joins me on the line today. Fred, how are you tonight? I'm doing okay. Who would you put would on the like five, Fred? To, I would like to see Jimmy Lomax of Santa Claus of Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah, that, Jimmy was a wonderful man. Um, I'm guessing the opportunity or the chances that that's going to happen, Fred, are about the same as me growing an afro by tomorrow morning. But I know, but at least they could put him on there as dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> Jimmy was a wonderful, wonderful man who did amazing things, especially in the East End. And uh, hopefully everybody knows the story of Jimmy Lomax. Hey, Fred, I thank you for bringing up his name because it's a great name to keep in the conversation. Thanks for that. Yeah, okay. That's, um, yeah, look up Jimmy Lomax if you don't know who he was. He was a guy who did a lot of great things for for kids around Hamilton. Very generous guy. Look, I, 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 I expect that here's the problem again. And let me just close with this. 
Terry Fox seems like it's the obvious one that has to be on there. And I don't think there's anybody who disagrees with that or could, I don't think there's anybody, even if they disagree, I don't think anybody is going to be bent out of shape if Terry Fox is the person who's chosen, except that by throwing in so many others now, you're going to have people say this was a white guy thing. Some people, maybe. I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. The flip side is if you don't go with Terry Fox, when it's so bloody obvious, you're going to have tons of people saying, oh, patronizing, politically correct, blah, blah, blah. Well, and you know, it's Terry Fox you're competing with. That's going to be a tough argument to defeat. we got some more calls coming in. Let's get to them quickly. Gord joins me now on the line. Gord, how are you? Hello, Gord. Hello. Hey, Gord, how are you? Who would you put on the five? Okay, first of all, my first guess is, John, is Terry Fox, of course. But my second one would be Johnny Bauer. Because he's Johnny a Bauer. He's a hockey player. Yep. He did a lot for the, uh, he with a mentor for, for our Canadian team. That's who I think should be on there. Johnny Bauer is another great idea. Thank you for the call. I appreciate that, Gord. Have a great night. Ed is waiting to come on. Ed, how are you tonight? Not too bad, thanks. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Who would you put on the $5 bill? Well, I've got three, Terry Fox being number one. Yep. And I thought maybe uh, Mark Garneau. Excellent choice. Yeah, the astronaut. Yeah. And one of our indigenous uh, people, uh, Chief Joseph Brandt. That's, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about Chief Joseph Brandt, and this is this is where things get so complicated in 2020, was I was reading a while back that uh, apparently Joseph Brandt had slaves, or at least that's the the suggestion. And what do you do with that? It becomes a complicated yeah. thing as we, you know, as we move forward. I, I, I don't know. I think it's a terrific maybe, choice. I think you look at what he maybe did. Maybe not, but no, it's part it's, of our history too, right? Absolutely it is, Ed. Absolutely it's it is. It's, it's, history it's, all the time. It's a great, it's a great idea. I appreciate the call. Thank you for that. Great ideas okay. from, from Ed. Great ideas from everybody. Okay. Who would you put on the $5 bill was the question. Well, the, as I say, the Bank of Canada has given eight finalists. You can look them up. You can see who they are and you can decide. But I, I think that ultimately it's it's it seems so unlikely it won't be Terry Fox. Look, every single person who called today, but one said, well, but two said Terry Fox. And even those... I find it hard to believe that they would get two up in arms if Terry Fox was the one who was chosen. But again, beyond all that, why limit it to one? Why is it impossible that our 10 or our $20 bills couldn't have a series of great Canadians? Makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me at all. Anyway, and then you don't have these fights. You don't have these issues. And we've got so many great Canadians that it just seems like it's a waste to not put them on there. Oh, you know what? I was going to go to break, but we've got more calls coming, so I'll get to them really fast, and then we'll go. Gino. Gino, how are you tonight? Too bad. How are you, Scott? Excellent. Who would you put on the $5 bill, Gino? Well, I really like, of course, uh, Terry Fox. Of course, yep. I would like to see, I've been Stony Creek, my hometown of Guelph, Dr. Colonel John McCray. Excellent choice. Fields of Poppy's Grove. Absolutely fantastic choice, especially with the timing of tomorrow. Yeah, that is a, that's a inspired one, Gino. Good call on that one. Well done. Oh, very good. That's the two. Terry Fox and uh, Colonel John. 
excellent choice. Thank you, uh, Gino, for that. Let's go to Dave. Wrap it up with Dave. Dave, how are you tonight? Very good, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. Who would you put on the five? Well, Terry Fox, so that eight is a good one, but I was wondering about Louis Riel. Wow, that's okay. Now, again, a really interesting one because you end up with probably people who agree and disagree, but a really interesting choice and certainly one that uh, if you're trying to spur conversation, that does it for sure. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking, is this the swan song of the five? Because they've been talking that maybe it would be a coin rather than a bill. I don't know the answer, although I assume if they're going to put it into play and they're going to, especially if it's someone like Terry Fox, how do you do this and then in five or six or ten years get rid of it? It, it, This may be the the way that it stays in in operation. But again, I mean, I don't even use money all that much. I use I need to get a Terry Fox debit card is what I need to get. Uh, Dave, thank you very much for the call. Really appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who called in. Fantastic ideas. Really uh, inspired some of those ideas that I had never thought of, but um, excellent choices. Go By the way, go read up. It is worth, and again, I'm not dismissing the other people who are the finalists. Go read, sorry, go look online. Just look up Bank of Canada $5 bill. You'll find it and look up the biographies of some of these people. I mean, amazing people. It's just you're competing with Terry Fox. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.